0: All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Ziad Parekh, who is a co-founder of SafePay. Ziad, welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, stoked to have you on. How? Uh, and I mean, I, I feel like in the first, I don't know, 50 or 60 episodes, I I, I interviewed people like generally in, in San Francisco, New York, but now I feel like I'm like getting all this like inter- interviewing all these international founders. And I'm just like, always whenever I have one coming on, I get super, super stoked. So I'm really stoked to have you on and talking all about SafePay. And like with that, I'd love to just get started and in diving into to what are you working on? What, what is Safe Pay?
1: Sure, yeah. So um at SafePay, we're writing software to help existing and future businesses in Pakistan initially and then kind of regional economies in the future to help them come and participate in the online economy. Uh we're starting uh first and foremost with a payments processing tool, because I think that is fundamental to kind of any um economy and any business. Um, and it's a tool that's been lacking for many years in Pakistan. Um, Not sure why but uh, when you have companies like Stripe and PayPal who kind of aren't really focusing on this market there's there's a growing frustration in the in the kind of the local communities as to why you know these kind of business don't, don't come here. So I kind of took it upon myself to try and see if I could use you know the skills that I have um, to kind of build something to help them kind of alleviate some of those problems. And that's kind of the idea behind and the founding principles behind safety. So I'm going to ask some basic questions
0: just because for you, they might seem basic, but for, for me, they're not like, I've always been wondering why, you know, when I, when I think of Stripe, I, I you know, I live in the States and Stripe is, is, is pretty common here in the States. And I I just kind of wonder, like, what, what do you mean when you say it's not available in Pakistan? Like, do they, do they just, you not go to the website? Is that not a geography that they have regulation to work in? I'd love to just dive into what makes that geography, um, you know, not great for Stripe or PayPal, and, like, and what does that mean for companies like you, you know, if there's no other, no other big players in the space?
1: Totally, yeah, so, um, so force Stripe to operate Excuse me. In various countries, um, they have to first and foremost operate by that specific country's, um, I guess, financial regulations and set up operations there and and have some sort of local footprint there. I think for, for a company like Stripe, a lot of their business decisions are based around the size and the potential of that economy and the ease and understanding of their regulations for them to kind of accelerate their growth and move forward in those and, and make an impact in those markets. Um, Pakistan for, for a long time, has kind of just had like a bad name in the general global economy. Um, and a lot of companies, uh, either they don't understand the market and the dynamics, or it's just not a priority for them because um, they have other lower hanging fruits that they could kind of pick off. But a lot of people kind of tend to overlook the fact that Pakistan is the sixth largest country in the world by population. And it has, uh, in, in terms of the population proportion, 60% of its uh, population is below the age of 30. So it's, it's, it's a very up and coming young market. And in terms of internet penetration, smartphone adoption, in, in those areas, it's, it's one of the highest in the developing economies. So in the next five to 10 years, uh, my hope and at least the country's hope is that economic conditions tend to improve and more and more people who are uh, going online will start conducting not only their business online, but start kind of interacting more with the global kind of economy and the global world um, in a more online setting um so for for someone like stripe or paypal even they um for the most part aren't interested right now but that's not to say they won't be in the future for us i think right their their oversight is our opportunity and that's mainly because we kind of understand the market we grew up here we kind of know the pain points that people are facing and we're able to tailor a solution for them that may not be an exact kind of replica of what Stripe and PayPal offer, but in the same principles uh, that it kind of works. Um, And ultimately, um, you know, because we have that local uh, footprint, but also that global connection, we're able to kind of um, take advantage of their absence and hopefully provide a product and a solution that is helpful for this economy and regional economies in the future.
0: So let's dive into, you know, obviously it's not impossible to build a um, kind of f- fintech products for this specific geo because you're doing it. And I want to dive into your product in a second. I just wanted to cover this first because it's really interesting to me. How, well, actually, let, let, let's actually dive into that deeper into the product and then we'll go into some of this, the same stuff a, a little after. So um, if I was living in Pakistan, um, or even if I wasn't like how does someone interact with what you're working with? Um, I guess I guess how, how does your product work? What what solutions does that enable its users to, to do?
1: Um, so from a very basic standpoint what we have built allows Businesses of all kinds. Uh, let's take e-commerce for example um, allows an e-commerce store to accept credit and debit cards from customers in Pakistan or from around the world. So what Stripe was able to do or what PayPal was able to do for e-commerce, we're trying to do for those kinds of businesses in Pakistan. Um, And I'll tell you how things currently work or what the status quo is in Pakistan. It's it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, So I would say 90% of e-commerce transactions in Pakistan are cash on delivery. So you would order... Um, an item you would wait for the delivery guy to come maybe four or five days later to your house You would meet him personally and pay him in cash and that courier would then aggregate all of these cash payments from all the different deliveries they would make and two weeks later after figuring out How much they owe to each merchant? They would then distribute the cash to those merchants so for merchants it's a huge hassle because a they have to wait. In the best case scenario, they have to wait two weeks for their payments to get settled into their bank accounts, which poses a cash flow pro- problem. Um, in the worst case scenario, the customers flat out reject the order, and you know the courier has to either take that order back to the merchant, in which case he loses a sale and, and time, um, or b you know their money never arrives in their bank account in, in which case the courier company either refuses to pay because, you know, they've spent that money somewhere else <laughs> or, um, you know, it just gets lost in this giant mess of cash. So our kind of benefit or, or the, the promise that we kind of provide to merchants is that you, you can be assured that the payment is already captured from the customer before you ship that product out and when you choose your money will be in your bank account the next business day so the cash flow problem is eliminated merchants get their payments in within like two working days they're assured that they can deliver their product to the customer without having to worry about returned orders and customers no longer have to wait at the gate for the delivery guy to come to make the transaction. Um, now, I've always thought, why didn't this happen sooner? Like, what what was stopping, you know, a bank or another startup to come and offer these kinds of things? And the reason is that credit card and debit card penetration was very low up until a few years ago. So for a country of close to 220 million people, there are roughly maybe 50 to 60 million debit cards and only five to six million credit cards. And that penetration kind of has, you know, made a lot of companies overlooked the potential um, of something like this and close their mind to the idea that something like this could exist or even function. So I, when I started working on this, it was more of a side project. I never um, intended on making this full time until I was sure that something like this would work. So I took it step by step. um, Didn't really quit my job, kept working on this on the side. And now that I've come to kind of see the potential firsthand, coming here to visit, talking to people, um, seeing how there's a need for something like this, it's really um, kind of encouraging that, A, the government is taking the right steps, and B, the the people and the economy, the population, they're getting more and more mature um, as a nation. And they're realizing that, if they don't want to get left behind, they have to kind of, you know, start adopting these kind of practices um, to kind of stay on par with what's happening everywhere else in the world.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's that's a very insightful. Um, I, I want to dive into, you mentioned you didn't, you didn't, jump like full-time immediately you took it step by step Um, I want to go into your mindset on what it was like when you first started it when you knew you couldn't do full-time to how your mind like shifted um, over to hey this could be more viable this could be more viable this could be more viable Um, what were some of the events that happened that made that made those shifts in your head closer to closer to wow this is like this is a thing that could
1: could be used by a lot of people Yes. Um, so I'm, I guess, like a very risk averse person in general. Um, but when I started working on this, I always, in, my, in the back of my mind, I always knew that I wanted to do something on, on my own. And whether it was this or something else, I had still to decide. But I knew that, you know, someday that would happen. But uh, when I launched SafeBay earlier, I think it was in May of 20, 2019, um and I made and I posted it on one of the Facebook groups um in Pakistan I I kind of knew that uh, there would be some sort of interaction um but I didn't think to what extent it would be uh, I thought I would get shot down pretty much um and I was like all right that was going to be that but the community was so engaging and so helpful and supportive in that way that there were a lot of early adopters that kind of just picked it up and installed it on their e-commerce stores without, you know, me having to go down the traditional sales route or do any like kind of business development or, you know, spend crazy amounts on marketing. So that was, that was the first sign for me. Uh, and then I kind of knew that in order to kind of sustain that initial burst, I'd have to just in In this in a sense, just keep banging on the drum right you just kind of keep putting stuff out there, improve your product, engage with my the existing kind of users who adopted it, and that kind of had a a very small but I guess important snowball effect for me and and say in general um, all the while I still had like a full time full time job uh so and and Surprisingly enough, it, it worked out interestingly because during the day in San Francisco, um, I would be at my job and it would be night in Pakistan um, and then in the evenings, I would return from my job and Pakistan it would just be like waking up, and I could actually then at, in, the, in my evenings start interacting with merchants there till about you know 1 two am uh, and which would be like. 1, 2 PM over here, and then, you know, go back to bed. So the time difference actually made it surprisingly easy, uh, which was another thing that made it simple for me to continue working on this. Um, And then just, I I think it was just the organic kind of growth and word of mouth of people spreading it from amongst their friends. And they were like, Oh yeah, I recommended SafePay to this other guy who's running this store. And, you know, this guy's going to install it on his store. This guy wants to use it. What's, how do you kind of, can you help him out? And I would just kind of, basically I I signed up for Zoom. I was like, yo, I'm just going to video call you, share your screen. I'll tell you exactly how to set it up. Um, A lot of times I would just write plugins. If someone was like, I want to use it on my WHMCS (laughs) web hosting thing. I was like, all right, give me a day. Let me write a plugin for you. So um, a lot of that was a lot of just, you know, me just doing random stuff to do whatever I could to push the product down people's throats. Um, And eventually all of that kind of culminated in a small growing community around Safeway. And then it was up to me to kind of nurture it and help it grow. Luckily, my best friend, He, at the same time, um, he quit his job (laughs) and he was like, I'm down to help you. So he became my co-founder. He was based or he is based in um, Karachi, in Pakistan full time. And he was able to kind of really accelerate our sales and business development. Like this guy is a champ. So um, because obviously, you know, startups doing it by yourself gets lonely um it's it's not the easiest thing to do having someone with you is definitely beneficial um but yeah it was just like a string of very fortunate events and a lot of like sweat (laughs) in the evenings for me for sure that ultimately kind of drove it to the point where it is today but i mean we still have a long way to go no doubt but um Stephanie, Stephanie Stark.
0: And how do you think about building companies now? You're, you know, you're, you're doing this, you know, you, you're an early founder with a very promising company, promising startup. How, how do you know? How do you know what to do? How do you know what to work on? Is there resources that you listen to, or mentors that you have to kind of make sure you're, you're going down the right track? Or is it all gut or somewhere in the middle?
1: Oh no! It's it's for me. I'm I I try to just um, read a lot of what other successful people have done, um, and take inspiration from their work. Uh, whenever I there were, there were times where um, I was like, you know, this this isn't worth it, and I, I want to do something else. Because not every day is an up day <laughs> for sure, but. Um, in, in those times, I would always kind of go back to these uh, kind of like a repository that I have either mentally or kind of like in my bookmarks of motivating um, either websites or, you know, documentaries or books or ebooks or something. And I would just kind of just read one of those and just kind of energize myself again. But in terms of learning how to run a business, I... I still wouldn't say I'm the best person to answer that question. I'm still learning every day. Um, you face new challenges every day, but for me, I think the main the main thing that um, if I've if I've learned over these you know five six months is resilience is probably the biggest quality you can have as a founder, um, and and I believe that you know if if you wrestle with the world enough it'll ultimately kind of relent and give you what you want so um that's something that's that's kind of just stuck with me to help me you know push through the downs and you know celebrate the ups um but yeah everything for me at least i try to take things as they come We never had like a hard and fast hiring plan, marketing plan, a sales plan. We don't have the resources for that. And frankly, we don't have the funds for that yet. So it's all about, you know, wearing different hats and being excited about learning new things. Like if I didn't do, if I didn't start or go down the path of starting this, I wouldn't have had any reason to learn about marketing or sales or how to use a spreadsheet really so this opportunity kind of a forced me to do that and took me out of my comfort zone and enabled me to do that which for better or for worse i really appreciate so whether or not this amounts to anything i'm you know just having those skills and doing those things has been extremely valuable
0: that's a great mindset and a great way to think about it so where do you? So, something I'm I'm curious about is, you know, I am a two-hour plane ride away from what I feel is the like tech epicenter, in my opinion, of of at least the states or maybe the world, San Francisco, and you're you're across the world, uh, um, from from that. Um, so I'm kind of kind of curious. How do you think about the global economy and building a startup? You know across the world from san francisco but still being able to be successful and and thriving um and using resources from the internet just how do you think about all that stuff
1: i think one of the the most powerful things about the internet is how it's it levels the playing field and if you're able to take advantage of that and if you're resourceful enough to know where to go and you're passionate enough and curious enough to kind of learn what you want to learn and not wait for anyone to solve your problems, but go and, well, go after them and figure out the right solutions or in a sense, hack your way around the problem. Then I think in, in that way, it's, um, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in Silicon Valley or whether you're here in Karachi or wherever with an internet connection, I think you can make a huge impact. There are obviously advantages in terms of scalability and economies of scale that come with a location like Silicon Valley. Um, And that is most, most probably what I would like to think of. It's like a very strong feedback loop, uh, which might not exist if you're a single person with an internet connection. But Um, having an internet connection and doing the basics to get yourself to some somewhere like Silicon Valley. Um, Like for me, for instance, uh, obviously talking to you right now is allowing me to spread my message to a wider audience through the medium of the internet. And if I I just feel that, um, you know, some, something like that is just, it's, it's extremely, um, I don't know, just magical in the sense of what it allows you to do. So, I mean, just a little bit about myself. Um, I didn't study computer science or I don't have like a, I guess a formal degree in programming or software. It was all self-taught um, through mm-hmm. YouTube videos and blog posts and tutorials online and, um stack overflow for the most part and for 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 my first few years out of college i i just had the the challenge of staying you know five steps ahead of my boss in terms of my in terms of my job and that kind of motivation um kind of just led me down the path of software and programming and the power it holds and what you can do with it so yeah, for me, I'm a huge believer in the internet and what it has done and what it can do for people down the line.
0: Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, as mentioned, I'm not in SF, but I, um, but, but, you know, but I live in Phoenix. But even still, it's, it's been hard, I would say, over the last, I would say, five years. To uh, to to break in, and I know there's a lot of people in SF that find it hard to break in. But the reality is, it doesn't matter necessarily where you are, whether you're in Pakistan or Phoenix or New York or Boulder or you know China. Um, like with the internet, you're able to. Um, I don't know. I feel like it levels the playing field a bit, and it kind of brings up my favorite book by one of my favorite books by Alexis ohanian if I pronounced that right, without their permission, who is the founder of Reddit. And he's like, you can build without anyone's permission. You can just do it because the internet enables that, which is pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what, um, if I remember correctly, Mark and recent did with the, um, with the Nescape Navigator or Mosaic Browser at that time when he launched it out of his, his college when he was just like, you know, by the power invested in me pretty much. Here's Mosaic Browser. So, um, it's it's super interesting that way, and a lot of potential. But yeah, I mean, Phoenix. I think, despite it being just you know a stone throw away from Silicon Valley, has a lot of talent. Um, a lot of these up and coming um, cities across the U.S. Austin, Salt Lake. Um, everyone's kind of realizing that. Uh, this, well, besides just how expensive the Bay Area is, uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of different things about these cities that make them unique and attractive to different kinds of people. And um, it's, it's just a matter of, uh, I guess it's a matter of time before that initial kind of advantage that Silicon Valley has kind of dissipates and kind of just spreads across these kind of different communities that are popping up.
0: It's honestly really exciting. Uh, I, I, I think it's not the end of the era for, for Silicon Valley, but it's the start of the era for a lot of other hubs. And uh, it honestly has created a slight internal crisis for me because I feel like like right now I I don't have the means to move to to SF and I probably won't for like a year or two, but I feel like there'll be a point where like I have the, I'm financially able to do that if I wanted to, but I'm kind of like thinking, I'm just like, is that like, is that even a smart, is that on the right side of history or the right side of history, um, you know, Making trips to SF, but actually living in one of these other hubs and building it there to be early in a, in a uh, eventually burgeoning uh, tech scene. Um, and I don't have an answer, but um, I, I do think what you're saying is insightful. That just like it doesn't really matter where you are because we're all on the internet, or most at least most of us are on the internet.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great way to think about it. Um, and and I do believe that there's that pull of Silicon Valley and San Francisco will will always stay there. Just how, um, you know, Wall Street has that amazing pull for people who want to get into finance. Um, But it doesn't mean that you need to be there 24 hours a day or living there to access all of those amazing things. I mean, one one of the ideals of Silicon Valley, if it's not, should be to dissipate all the knowledge and the value that they currently have. That's the idea of of technology, right? It's supposed to spread its benefits across the world through mediums like the internet. And I think obviously that's happening and it'll happen to a greater extent. Um, There are things like like, uh, being physically close to one another that speeds up a few things. But with more and more um, people are getting into uh, you know, remote work cultures and remote working locations, even with, you know, the rise of companies like outside um, that it's, it's building these very interesting communities of not only software engineers, but just like-minded people that together can collaborate and do amazing things. Um, so, I mean, I'm excited to, to see how this evolves and, you know, where it goes. So what do you think about you know, it? What do you think about remote
0: work? Um, not if it's going to be a thing or not, because it's obviously going to be a thing, but h- how far is the pendul- pendulum pendulum going to swing in the realm of remote work? Do um, you think in like 10 years, everyone's going to be remote working or could remote work be dead or like, I don't know where I'd love to hear. What your thoughts are on like how far remote work is going to go before it maybe stops or the pendulum swings back
1: so i um, well for for me personally, this um, safety has been very kind of remote culture oriented um, but just from um, i guess my perspective I think it's it's important to be able to physically communicate. Um, and be around, um, you know, your team or your company that um, I guess, you know, human beings are social creatures. And the fact that if they have the opportunity and the option to kind of work together, a lot of them will choose to do that. Uh, remote work shouldn't be discouraged is, is I guess my point. Um, for For those people who are disciplined enough and you know, or may not be able to make it to the office because of other family commitments uh, or other commitments that you know, make it prohibitive for them to visit the office, uh, they shouldn't be um, disadvantaged in terms of getting op- um, employment opportunities. So there just has to be, I guess, a process and a culture in place in the company that you ultimately join that supports remote work and, I guess, local work on the same level Um, because I do think they will exist in hybrid um, if not a company going completely remote but I feel like the more remote you go the more disciplined you have to be as an organization to make things to make sure that those processes you have put in place are actually kind of enforced and people realize that um, you know they're working towards the same goal from different locations and with a lot more variables in place uh, that they have to kind of take account of. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in remote work and the culture that it brings, but um, you know, it, it all depends on whether or not you're capable of um, sticking out with that experiment and executing it correctly. I believe
0: something I'm interested in seeing happen is the rise of, I mean, still remote work, but more so, like, I feel like there's going to be a new term that pops up, um, and I, I don't know what the term's going to be, but it's going to describe having a, co- a company that's based in, like, seven cities, and maybe, or, or, or like, 24 cities, and maybe that could be, like, two people per city or something like that, but, like, something that's interesting to me is, like, let's say I started a company that's based in Phoenix, like, HQ Phoenix, but if two people want to join... Uh, that are based in Denver, or, or let's say I hire in pairs. Oh shit! That, what, what do you? Sorry, I'm like ideating on the spot here. But what do you think of this idea? What if there was a company that hired in pairs in the same city, and when that pair gets hired, they open up in that city. So you always have one other person in the city that you can interact with, versus just being totally solo. Um, what's your like initial reaction to that idea? I literally just got it on the spot. <laughs>
1: No, it's 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 very interesting because it does solve the problem of you know being able to communicate with someone on a daily basis and um yeah, if and and make sure that those people are comfortable because they're living in the city that they're comfortable in and they don't have to relocate or anything for any for for work. Um and if they're if they have complementary skill sets, that's even better, right? Because if you pair up a designer with a front end engineer and they're both in the same city, for instance then you just have this crazy feedback loop that just solves your, your problems with, uh, around the front end at least. So, yeah, pair programming or pair work. Damn, I don't that's know.
0: nuts. I feel like there's something there. Because my problem with remote work is, I mean, I've been doing remote work for four. I've actually, I've never had a job post-college that wasn't remote. And, Cause I was mostly with like, my own company um, and my current job is remote and my first job I ever had was remote. So like all that is remote. And let me tell you, it's pretty lonely. Like I like it. Like I'm, I'm right now I'm, I'm doing this podcast out of my, out of my, my uh, apartment. And then after I'm done with this, I'm just going to get to work on my, on my day job, but it is pretty lonely. And I wonder the company that pretty much enables remote work but eliminates loneliness, I think is the company that wins. I think loneliness is not talked about enough in, in the remote work
1: world. 100% agree with you. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it, it's a big thing. And a lot of people kind of tend to overlook it because the, the appeal of working from, I guess your home or from your bed or your lounge is and not having to commute, I think that is like the biggest kind of reason why people work from home. That that appeal is is pretty strong. But um if you were to do that day in, day out for months, uh, it would really, you know, take its toll on you mentally and physically. Um and so yeah, you're you're completely right. Like if someone can solve the problem of physical interaction in in a minimal way, but also having that remote culture ethos boom (laughs) they've solved it
0: i also feel like a lot of people build and this might not be true actually but i'm still gonna say it like i i get get this feeling that a lot of people that are building tools for remote work um are being in my framework that i use often um mercenaries uh because they see that remote work is a thing, so they want to build for it. But, like, they don't actually know that true, true pain points. They are just doing what they, like, read on the internet. And I say this just because, like, I'm telling you, like, everyone's focusing on collaboration, communication, um, and uh, video chat, things like that, which is all needed. Man, but, this, like, there needs to be a loneliness stack. Like, seriously, it's, like, it's almost like, if, when you think about education um, in college, you know, I'm of the camp that, like, people, you know, not everyone needs to go to college. Some people should, depending on what you want to do, but not all. But the problem with that is if you don't go to college, that you're missing out on that social function, and you're missing out on, like, pretty much growing up. Like, I grew up in college. At least I started to grow up. Um, and I, I just feel like it's the same realm as remote work. Like, you can get rid of the people, but what happens when you get rid of the people? Just like if you get rid of college, what happens when you get rid of the parties and the fraternity? You know, that, that stuff. I'm not saying you need that, but, like, do you? Like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a big believer in, in college and the ability to kind of, um, you know, meet, meet new people. Because if it wasn't for college, um, I wouldn't have been able to well get a job in the US or like meet all the kind of the friends that I made from different countries. And like you said, um, grow from, you know, their experiences, from their knowledge um, and, you know, help them. Uh, shape their kind of beliefs and ideas by learning about, you know, whatever I have to offer. So that, yeah, that social interaction gets overlooked a lot, especially in, in startups, but um, A, that shouldn't have to be overlooked if you can you know, come up with a solution like what you just mentioned. Um, and, and B, it, it's like now that you have the option of shared co-working spaces and stuff like that, you can't, and you can't keep your costs down um, and, you know, not have to maintain a full-time office and with a full-time kind of staff or whatever, um, but still give your employees the option to kind of intermingle and, um, you know, work across different teams. So, yeah, it, it's, it's exciting. It's, this remote work culture kind of just started to take off maybe one of the last four or five years. Um, yeah so it's it's still young people are still experimenting so it's just crazy how quickly it's kind of exploded and I don't see it slowing down so I mean we just have all these co-working companies that have started launched so it's definitely going to pick up yeah I predict that it's you know
0: as I get older and more experienced in the tech community I kind of am learning that everything is a pendulum, uh, and uh, when something swings really far to the right, it'll swing back to the left, and then it'll swing back to the right. And an example is like, look at you know social media. You know social media. We all wanted it, we got it, we got it a little too much, and now we're swinging back to more private things like that. And then maybe in a decade, we'll swing back to the data stuff. And I just think everything's a pendulum. And I think uh, remote work is too. Actually, like I feel like we're gonna have a, a pretty major crisis um, in. A decade about just like about loneliness. I do I, I keep bringing it back to this, but I really think like people aren't thinking enough about it. And we're gonna we're gonna shift back a little away from remote work in the future. Because I but I think by then potentially we won't need to be in person because there'll be like VR or holograms or shit like that. Uh, but that's like I don't know. Just the future. The future is wild. I'm excited. Anyways, yeah. um, so uh, kind of are there any what other topics that you what are topics that you think about, um, just when you're not thinking about about your company? Is there anything like problems or different technologies or anything like that that you want to bring up um, and have a conversation about before we uh, before we wrap it up?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I I definitely think a lot about um, well, just based on, on on problems existing in my country right now, just like employment. I guess is just how how can, I, how can I kind of come up with um, a solution to give people more flexible kind of employment, right? Because in the US you have amazing things now where you have the full-time jobs, you have the gig economy. Um, I mean, obviously I will not comment too much on that, but it, it, those options are there. Uh, and, and you kind of have, have the ability to either go down the formal job route or come up with something highly customized to your own preferences. Uh, whether or not, like you mentioned, whether you you go to college or not or you go to some um, other kind of educational program, uh, you have those flexibility uh, that flexibility in Pakistan right now that um, those options and those roads are very rigid for people, and a lot of um, a lot of very talented and smart people don't have those kind of options to lift themselves up because Either they're, um, you know, the sole caretakers of their families and they're, they're trying to provide um, for their families so they have to take the option of income rather than taking the option of exploring their curiosities. So with the rise of stuff like, you know, YouTube, where you can kind of make uh, video tutorials and earn money that way. Um, and all of these new kind of business models that are coming up, I, I'm always kind of thinking about how I can link back this whole, now that, you know, kind of payments are solved, how we can get people paid <laughs> if they don't have a means themselves, mm-hmm. how can you build or bridge an opportunity for them? Um, but yeah, it's a very high level thing, but it's just something that kind of keeps me up at night sometimes. So I, could, I tend to think about it.
0: Yeah. Definitely. I mean, something. I mean, luckily you're building something that can directly impact that um, over time as, as, as you're building for that geo and also just building tools that I'm sure can expand. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you SafePay eventually will be able to work in other geographies as well, right? Is it, or is it just constrained to Pakistan at the moment? Or I guess, is it constrained to Pakistan in the long term or are you thinking about expanding to other geos too?
1: No. Um not in the long run. So initially, we're focused on Pakistan and we want to get our product right. Um, but I think there there's a lot, of, um, a lot of cool things going on in other regional economies. And the culture is very similar uh, to that of Pakistan. So it would be kind of easier to break into these economies. But um, yeah, I think and, and, and the challenges and the problems that they face are, are, are similar, if not the same. So in in that way, horizontal expansion uh, is definitely on the cards. And uh, as as long as we play our cards right, <laughs> and let's say you play your cards
0: right, and you know, and everything kind of works in your in your favor, and you know, you raise tons of money, but but not too much where it, like it's a de- detriment, and you're growing as fast as you can. What potentially does it pay? The, like in a decade, I guess. If it gets, what's the biggest version that it could be, and what does that look like? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, that's, that's a very interesting question. Um, so to me, I would kind of think of SafePay as being the enabler of, um, you know, an, an online economy in, in like a global setting. So whether or not that's, um, you know, solving payments, which would be, I guess, a small but important core bit of it. Um, it would it would more so be the brand or the company that people feel comfortable interacting with online for their financial and economic needs from whatever country they live in. Hopefully, um, you know, fingers crossed. But for Pakistan, what we've seen is that dis- despite the heavy trust issues, and trust is like probably the biggest problem uh, we have in this in this country. Um, there. They're willing to kind of uh, let their guard down and try out new things and embrace new technology from uh, from you know a company that's uh, built by Pakistanis. so that that kind of um, I guess initial growth, we want to capitalize on that and hopefully be in a, in a way a company that really kind of listens. Um, and engages with the community that it's built. Um, obviously, like you know, this is all um, uh, just like talking right now. Eventually, companies become giant behemoths. But <laughs> if we can stick to our core principles, um, then yeah, I think I think there's a big opportunity for Safeway to become one of um, the region's you know principal kind of economic enablers, I would say.
0: Got it. And to make that happen, um, which is honestly very exciting to hear, it's a cool vision. Um, you're going to need some help along the way. And you're, you're uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like any founder can can use help. And you got all these people listening to the podcast that know the questions coming that I'm about to ask. So the question is, how can the Forward Thinking Founders community uh, help you? And uh, is there an ask that you have for one or two or all the listeners where they can help you move the needle forward on safe Bay?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, just, um, hopefully help us uh, spread the message and check us out on online if you can. But, um, I mean, it would be great if, you know, even if you know currently probably as as a as a, a merchant you can't use uh, SafePay, but as a customer, you know we allow our merchants to accept payments from anywhere in the world. And a lot of our, our new and our, our our merchants right now who are coming on board are doing exciting things by enabling the local population sell their handicraft um, items kind of online. So if you ever tend to see a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad for any of these kind of Pakistani companies that are just starting to market their, their goods and services, um, and you see the SafeBase sign on their website, I would just ask that you um, trust that they're a legit company because we've kind of vetted them. And if you'd like their product and you think it's interesting, then please um, go ahead, feel free to buy it. As always, we're here um, for any kind of support that you may need down the line. But just the fact that you, know, you guys are listening and supporting us, is, it means a lot. And um, yeah, thank you for all of your, your support and help. All right, well, thanks for
0: coming on. I appreciate you, you sharing your vision with us and your company with us and jamming on remote work. And I wish you the best of luck moving forward um, and uh, make that vision happen as always let me know how i can help and maybe in a year or two we can do a round two on the podcast so thanks for coming on
1: appreciate it matt yeah and good luck with everything on your side as well